0: good morning. Well, good morning. There we go. (laughs) Anybody excited about being in church today? All right, well, let's stand together. We can get some worship on, right? We get to celebrate the coming of our King, amen. amen. That God with us, Emmanuel, or Pastor John said last week, God with me. Is it good to know that God is with you today? He's with us today, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you would come to earth, God, that that be your great plan, God, that you would look at man and you would look joyfully and kindly on him, God, and you would smile. God, and you would create a plan in the midst of our weakness, in the midst of our brokenness, and you would redeem us from our suffering and our sin. God, and we thank you for it, and we praise you for your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen. Now it's Christmas time, so we have to preach this thing Christmas songs, right? But that doesn't mean we can't worship the Lord with our Christmas songs. Amen? So let's sing joy to the world with you, will you? Joy
1: to the world. The Lord.
0: Amen. Lord, thank you that our hearts can sing with joy. Thank you that they open and unfold before you because you have worked mightily in us and on our part. And so we do lift up our voice in celebration of the King who's come to earth. Perfect song for us to add in the Christmas season. Amen. That so much, so many times we can get caught up in what it's not really about. And so easy we can get stirred into situations, circumstances, politics, commercialism, all these different things. Maybe just caught up in running, chasing, trying to check off the to do list every present you got to buy, everything that we have to accomplish and complete. The beautiful thing about Christmas is we have a whole month, amen? A lot of people get into it, and it's beautiful. But in the Old Testament, as the Old Testament prophets began to foretell of what Christmas was coming, of the birth of the Messiah, as they begin to prepare this, this call kept going forth, and it was, Get ready. Get ready. He's coming. Make room. Prepare for the king. Here's what you need to be looking for. Here's what you should be looking for. Here's what you should be paying attention to. And when you see this happen, get ready. And when you see this happen, get ready. And so many times it was prepare the way for the Lord. Prepare the way for the Lord. But yet when Jesus comes, how do we find Bethlehem? How do we find the children of Israel? They don't even notice him. They miss it. It has to take people from a foreign land who recognize a star who come all the way to bring gifts. And those are the ones who informs everybody of what's happening. But you know, the beauty of that is that didn't mess up God's plan. It didn't stop what God wanted to do because then he sent his angels to announce it to declare to the shepherds. And the shepherds run into the the town and they tell everyone. And there's a cool thing that happens in that story when they're telling everyone. The Bible says is that as Mary heard these things, she pondered them in her heart. The shepherds were telling everybody. They were making it known. But yet everybody missed it. To you, I would say this season, what is God trying to make known to you? What is the Spirit of the Lord speaking to you in this season of your life, in this time of the year? What is God speaking to you? What is He preparing you for? What is God wanting to do in your life or in your family or in your work or in, around you? What is He preparing you for? And are we hearing it? So can we maybe ask that as we close up worship today that God, whatever you're preparing, whatever you're planning, can you make, me know, make it known to me? Can you make it aware so, Lord Jesus, you did. You, God, you declared the birth of your son. You made it known. God, the angels shouted, the angels heralded it. They declared it. The shepherds saw that and they ran and told the town. But so many people missed it, God. God, I don't want to miss what you're doing. God, I don't want to miss out on something you may be doing in my life this season. So can you help me slow down? Can you help me? Pause and catch it, so I don't miss it. God, will you prepare our hearts to make room for you? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. If you guys will be seated, or Kelly's going to come up and greet us. Thanks, so Thanks. We're
2: for sure on, so that's awesome. Good morning, guys. I don't know about you guys, but um, Christmas songs are my favorite worship songs. Um, I think about how I was thinking this morning, you know, our world has this huge push against Christ and the things of Christ. And yet in the Christmas songs that are the older Christmas songs, um, you can't get past a world that is trying desperately to push push Christ away from them is singing songs that proclaim the glory of the only begotten son of God. And I just love that. Like, I just love that, that even in the midst of darkness, much like the time when Christ was born, you know, at just the right time he came, and even in a time of great darkness, his light shines for us. So he's our hope. Thank you, King Jesus. Um, my name is Kelly. On behalf of my husband, John, and the rest of our staff here at Christ Chapel, I want to say good morning and welcome to you. I'm so glad that we had already uh, scheduled for Pastor Way to come and speak today because John got fit in last minute for... Um, a touch-up for LASIK surgery, so one eye is kind of like this, (laughs) so that's why he's not with us today. He's watching online. Sorry, honey, I didn't mean to explain your eye like that. Um, Anyway, (laughs) it's just multiple eye drops several times a day, but he's doing much better, but unfortunately, one of the side effects is that for a couple days, he couldn't sermon prep and read, so anyway, we're glad that we went ahead and scheduled Wade to come and speak, but he'll be with us next Sunday. We've got our children's Christmas performance, um, also, really quickly, before I forget, I do want to welcome our first-time visitors with us today. If this is your first time here at Christ Chapel, welcome, and we're so very glad that you're here with us. If you missed our greeting team as you walked in the door, please make sure that as you leave the church that you step by that um, greeting table. We just want to put a gift in your hands. We won't track you down. We just would like to know that you're here and welcome you and if, if we can serve you in any way. Um one announcement. We don't have an announcement video today. Gentlemen of the church, if you could do us a huge favor right after the service concludes, if you could please help us putting up, um, we're going to be changing the stage around for next week's Christmas program. So if a bunch of guys help, it will make it very quick and we would just really appreciate your help. So if you could just go ahead and help us with that, um, we can get it done. And, um, I think that that's pretty much it. Um, we are going to go ahead and have our time of continued worship as we give our tithes and offerings. So um, we've got our baskets up here at the front. So if you'll just take the time as a family to worship together before bringing your tithes and offerings, and then Wade will come and preach. <laughs>
0: Good morning, church. As you know, our pastor is having um, a wonderful morning. Um, he's trying to watch online while he's probably doing this. So, Pastor John, thank you for being with us. Um, so glad that you tuned in. At least we know one person is. No, I'm joking. Um, that was bad wasn't it? Sorry. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter six. Um, Kind of a last-minute ordeal Pastor John got the opportunity to end the season with eye surgery so if you've ever had that you can be probably thinking wow what a great time to start into Christmas you know we're gonna step into um, Mark chapter six here in a little bit and it's I love this intensity that Mark has when he's teaching he's, it's almost like you know you have a little kid who starts to tell you a story And they just go from one thing to the next, and sometimes it doesn't seem like they connect. Your kids ever do that to you? And then you're like, you start asking questions, you're trying to follow them, right? And then you realize that in their mind it all connected. And you're like, how does that happen? Well, this is how I read the Gospel of Mark. It's like a kid is just telling me these stories. And I'm trying to figure out how they connect and work together. And there's this intensity at which he brings, and it's just from one story to the next. And it seems like he's jumping around, and he's catching just a little bit, not giving us a lot of details, but he's catching just enough. And so I love it because we get to dig in and try to catch the heart of what Mark is thinking, what he's doing in this. And so we're going to jump into Mark chapter 6 here, and I'm excited because this is probably the my favorite sermon i might ever get to preach um it's on possibly my favorite subject and that being what god requires he provides and i can't think of a better time of year to get on this subject to talk about this subject than at the time of christmas because jesus the birth of jesus is the ultimate expression of god's heart in that everything he requires he provides and his son is the provision of everything he required and so we're going to unpack this in the book of Mark here, and um, I'm hoping to have a lot of fun, so come along with me, let's have some fun together maybe, um, but let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I, I just uh, submit my heart right now to you, God, I, I submit this broken vessel that you would speak. Um, God, my temptation this morning is going to be like Mark and just blast people with as much information as I can throw. Um, but, God, it's the work of the Holy Spirit to connect it together, to make it work. And so, Holy Spirit, would you do that? God, would you take this intensity that's in me, in my heart, and just make it work in the hearts and the ears of the hearer? And, God, anoint our time together. God, that we would see that, that what you're requiring of us, you've provided, and that we just need to step into your provision. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, have, have you ever just heard an unbelievable story? I mean, one of those stories, you're just like, no, nah, that's just unbelievable. I can't, that's, that's just unbelievable. Well, fortunately, I don't have any of those stories. And so I can't share one of those. Because every time I share a story, people go, yeah, I believe that. And so all my stories are apparently believable. But when I was a young man, um, a young minister in my, as a young youth pastor, um, I remembered a time growing up that I saw my dad do something, and I was like, I'm going to try that, and as a young boy, I, rem- I rem- my, uh, was in Royal Rangers a lot. My dad was in Royal Rangers, and he was big into FCF, and at powwow, they would do this council fire, and so it fell on my dad that year to do the council fire, and so my dad, um, kind of a mechanical engineering type mind. He likes to tinker with stuff and make stuff happen, and he kind of gets all in. And so his idea for this council fire is he was going to have a guy with a black powder rifle kind of up the hill, and it was just going to fire just the smoke. So it would be no projectiles, but just the flash of the, the gun going off. And he would have this um, thing on fire fly through the woods and hit the council fire, and it would... Poof. And I was like, that's a really cool idea. Let me see it happen. And so he actually executed the idea... And I remembered watching him how he did that. And so as a youth pastor, I was like, I've got a great idea. We're going to have a youth uh, lock-in, and we're going to start our service off with (laughs) pyrotechnics. It's a great idea. I've seen my dad do this. And so I knew how to do it because I've seen him how to do it, right? Anybody else like that? You've seen somebody do it? Yeah, I got it, I got it, I got it. So I had these canister made, these pyrotechnic cannons made, and I was going to have them shoot a flame about three feet high. Not too big, just it's a good little flame like this, right? About right out here somewhere. And so um, they were built. So I remember going out in the parking lot. I'm going to try them out in the parking lot before we go inside. And um, get ready. I, I make it up and I fix it, and I get this huge about six-foot flame. I'm like, yeah, that was awesome. Woo! I'm excited. I'm like, yeah, all right, well, let's tone it down a little bit. Let's pull it back a little bit. So I go through it a couple more times, and I kind of dial it in at about this height. And I'm like, all right, we're good. We're dialed in. Everybody's safe. It's going to be great. And so I remember we we're getting ready to get started and getting all these kids in this room. And probably about 200-something kids are shoved into this church. And it's not a big church, and um, it has wooden ceilings, just to remind you. <clears throat> just a little note. And so I have... The light's off except for these uh, black lights, so they're shining up. And the kids are all excited, and the fireworks are supposed to go off with the first note, and then the lights will come on and kind of just kind of this boom energy, get going. As a youth pastor, my philosophy was um, I wanted as much energy as I could make happen in a room. And so my goal was to get the kids excited and as energized as I can because I believe it's easier to steer a ship that has wind in its sail than to put the wind in the sails. You know what I mean? Like, it's so much easier to steer the ship than to get it going. And so if we could get these kids going, we hopefully can steer them to Jesus. And so, man, it was all excited. So I'm up there, I've got my guitar, I'm ready to play, and hit the first note, and these kids start running down, and there was a delay in my fireworks. These kids start running down to the front, and all of a sudden, I feel this heat on my back. And this dark room begins to light up and i see the expression on every kid's face as they're screaming running right to the front and then they're all stuck in fear paused not to know and that realized that the flame went a lot higher than we expected than i expected and so that was the day that i almost burned the church down <laughs> thanks god we did not burn the church down You know, I I really wanted to have a ministry that was on fire for God, but not like that, right? (laughs) And so, as we step into the book of Mark here, we see that the disciples are coming to Jesus. And they're like, oh man, you will not believe what just happened. Oh, let me tell you. And so they're telling Jesus the stories of what they had just encountered. And so let's pick this up right here in Mark chapter 6. It says uh, in verse 30, it says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Now, the thing is, if we're going to understand what they're talking about, we're going to have to jump back a little bit to Mark 6. So real quick, jump to Mark 6, uh, verse 7. It says, And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over unclean spirits, And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed. And so here we have this story starts off with the disciples are running back to Jesus and they're telling him the fulfillment of what Jesus had sent them out to do in verse 7. In verse seven. And I can only imagine the excitement on these guys' faces, can't you? I mean, Jesus says, I'm going I'm to send you, I'm going to commission you to go do this work. And so here Jesus is saying, you have seen me do these things. You have seen me work. You have seen me in action. And now it's time for you to go do an action. You see, the thing, I saw my dad do this thing, and I thought it would be good to go do it myself. But here we have a better story where the disciples have seen Jesus at work. And Jesus looks at the disciples and says, now I want to send you to go do these things. And so the disciples come back, all excited. They're like, man, it happened. We actually saw demons run. We actually saw people be healed. We actually saw people repent. Like we saw these things happen. And then we get this weird jump in Mark's story. He kind of leaves us hanging a little bit, I think. But he immediately turns and goes a different direction on us, it seems like. And in verse 31, it says this. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place for, and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. Here's a story where the disciples, exuberant as they should be, they return to Jesus, and Jesus' response to them is, hey guys, let's go rest. (laughs) That hits me kind of odd. I don't know about you. I would think, let's have a party. Let's celebrate, right? Man, look what God is doing. Look what's happening. The people are repenting. People are getting healed. And God used us to do it. But I think there's a huge transition that Mark wants us to see in the life of ministry. And we have to believe that the gospel, if it's good news, and the thing is, is here are some young men. How can the gospel be good news? Well, because as the Bible says, that they were tired, They were hungry. They hadn't had time to rest. They were constantly coming and going. And Jesus saw the condition of their hearts. It's not that he didn't want to celebrate, but he saw the conditions of their life. And he says, hey, now it's my turn to minister to you. Let me minister to you. Yes, you went and you did a lot of amazing things. Yes, this happened. But Jesus' transition here is, hey, now let me minister to you. And if there's one thing we see consistent in the story of Mark is he will tell us something and then he will show us something. When he wants us to catch something, he will tell us and then he'll show us. And so what happens now is Jesus seeing this and says, look, I want to show you how ministry is done. Now you've gone out, you have a taste of it. You have a taste of what ministry looks like. Now I want to show you what ministry looks like in the real world. You see, we have to believe first that the gospel is good news. And for it to be good news, it has to invade bad spaces. And so to morning, this morning, I would say to you, if you are tired, physically tired, emotionally tired, relationally tired, situationally tired, if you are tired, then this is good news for you. If you are worn out, this is good news for you. And it could be you're just a tired mother or you're a tired father or you find yourself trying to bring your family along and worship to God and they're not moving at the pace you wish. Or you find yourself at work and things aren't moving and just wearing you out. This is the condition of life many times. But this message is for you. If you find yourself longing for more in life, then this message is for you. And I asked you this morning, what is the deficit of which you're facing right now? Deficits don't always have to be necessarily bad things. You see, the, the disciples had just gotten back from doing this great ministry, and Jesus says, I recognize your deficit, your, where your deficit, and I want to fill you back up. You've went and you've poured yourself out. Now let me fill you back up. And so now Jesus says, come on, let's get away. And if we're going to be effective in life and effective as witnesses for Christ, effective in our homes, if we're going to be effective in these ways, then we have to see a few things here that Mark's pointing out. And if you've never seen darkness, you'll never understand light. Think about that. If all you've ever known in life is light and you've never seen darkness, then you can't explain the light. If you've never experienced weakness in your life, Then you cannot tell me what strength is. Because you can't experience strength. You can't know what strength is until you've been weak and you've needed strength. You cannot tell me what light is until you've stood in the darkness and you've waited and you've longed for the dawn of day. And if you've never been hungry, then you don't know what it means to be satisfied. You see, we have to believe that there's a purpose to our lives. Not only do we have to believe that the gospel is good news, but we have to believe there's a purpose to our lives. And Jesus looks at his disciples, and he says, come away with me. You see, we need to respond to his call. We need to listen. We need to be drawing near to God. And that was what Jesus was telling his disciples. Hey, let's come away. I know you've you've been busy. All of this is going on, but come on, let's take a moment. When was the last time you took a moment with God? When was the last time you heard God calling to you and you paused everything and you pushed it aside, maybe even ministry, and you said, no, I've got to get away with God. I've got to get alone with God. I've got I've to get with God. If we're going to believe that we have a purpose in our life and we're going to step into that purpose, we've got to respond to his call of his nearness, and we've got to see him as his, our source, and we need to be sustained by him. Now, as we pick up from this part of the story, it says, And they went away in the boat, this is verse 32, to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw that they were going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all around the towns, and they got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go to the surrounding countrysides and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he, being Jesus, answered them and said, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out they said, five and two fishes. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups in the grass, and they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets of broken pieces of fish, and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. And in the Gospels, we see another amazing story, another unbelievable story. If you were there present, you would have to look at this and go, man, that's unbelievable. You fed how many people with five loaves and two fish? How many people? 5,000 people? No, that's unbelievable. I mean, one, how could you organize 5,000 people to start with? but two, much less. How do you take this little bit and make it much? And you'd have to look at this story and go, that is unbelievable. But the story here is that what God requires, he provides. And we see this in the story where Jesus is teaching and the disciples come up to him and they say, oh, it's getting late. Can we send these people home? They they need to go rest. They need to go eat. And what was Jesus' response to them? You feed them. That's what he told them. And the disciples make the logical response to that is go, how? Like, I mean, we were just out doing ministry. You said, take no bread, take no money, take nothing but a tunic and a belt. That's it. Like, Jesus, we, we were just in the boat. Come on. Like, there ain't nothing here. And so Jesus, go see what you got. And so they go to an inventory and there's Nothing. And the beauty here is that often we need to see our lack of resources before we can see the abundance of his resource. It's this principle. We do not understand what darkness is if we haven't stood in the light. And we don't know what light is if we haven't stood in darkness. And so Jesus wants them to understand and grasp what does ministry look like? What does it look like to be a person who walks out the purposes and callings of God? Well, first, if you don't understand and see your lack of resources, you will not be able to see and understand that he is the ultimate resource. If you haven't come to the end of yourself, then you don't know what that looks like. And you don't know where God begins to step in and move. You see, the beauty of this story takes full effect in the story of Abraham. And in, the, God, in the, the book of Moses, we have this story of Abraham, our father, who, 100 years old, finally has a son. And God comes to him and says, Abraham, I want you to take what's most dear to you, and I want you to go up the mountain and offer him as a sacrifice. And the story is pretty incredible because the Bible says that Moses, I mean Abraham got up early in the morning. Now, I don't know how many of you, if you were posed with this, would have probably delayed a little bit, hoping God might change his mind. And so here Abraham is. He loads up Isaac with with a wood, and they're headed up the mountain. And Isaac makes this very important observation and question to his father. And he says, where's the sacrifice? Dad, I see that we have the wood. I know we're going to worship. I know what this is about. You have showed me this. You've experienced, I've experienced this with you. So I know what we're doing. But, God, I, but Dad, something's missing. We're, we don't have the sacrifice. And you know what Abraham's response is? God will provide. His response wasn't, well, that's you, buddy. Come on. No, his response was out of faith. God will provide. He understood a very important principle in life and in ministry that whatever God requires, he provides. And God looked at Abraham and said, I require sacrifice. I require your worship. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, I require you to go feed my sheep. I'm requiring you to go and do this. Well, God, how? How do I, how do, I do this? I, what do I do this with? I, I don't know. And Jesus says, I want you to go feed them. You see, the disciples were not lacking observation here. They were not lacking understanding what the need was. There was no lack in them knowing that something needed to be done. But did they understand, did they see that what God, what Jesus was requiring of them, he would provide for them? You see, the creator of the universe wants to take our little and multiply it. The creator of the universe wants to take your little and he wants to make something much of it. And a lot of you are sitting here going, well, I got the little. And there's so many times in my own life, I feel, God, I've got the little. We got that covered. Sometimes it looks like a minus. And the creator of the universe, and to the disciples, the question was, is will you take that little and put it in the hands of the creator? And to you this morning, I would ask, will you take your little and put it in the hands of the Creator? There's certain doctrines we hold in the church. We hold them to be true. We hold them to be right. We hold them to be just. Now, you might ask, how does Mark get us to this point where we're asked if we will take our little and put them in the hands of the Creator? The other Sunday night, I shared right in front of this that there's a story that Mark goes into where Jesus is re- rejected at Nazareth. And the point of the story isn't us to show that Jesus was re- rejected. The point of the story is to get us to ask ourselves three questions. And those three questions are this. Who is Jesus? You see, as Jesus was doing ministry in his hometown, the people came up and they said, well, I mean, we know his sisters and we know his brothers and we've seen him grow up, but... Who is he? And the question to you is, who is Jesus? And the quest, second question they ask is, well, how, does he, how does he speak with this authority? Where does this authority come from? And the third question is, well, how is he doing these miracles? How is he doing these amazing things? And Mark poses these questions for us so that we look at them and we have to walk away either going, Jesus is who he says he is. He is the Messiah. He is God incarnate. He is God who has stepped down from heaven onto earth, taking on flesh to, to minister on our behalf before the Heavenly Father so that we can be reconciled back to God. And when we see him that way, then we can stand with our little and go, oh, yeah, you can have that. When we see him as the creator, when we see him as God the Father, full of authority, full of wisdom, we can take everything we have and put it in him because there's no loss. There's a great quote that comes out of this text. Um, I'm probably going to mess it up, so y'all bear with me. Um, There's a, a lady, her name is Ruth Stoll. She was a missionary to a very remote place. And when I say remote, I mean like several days backpacking in to go reach people in remote areas because she believed everyone should receive the gospel. And she said this quote from this text that If our lives, when placed into the hands of Jesus, are broken, it's because the pieces can feed a multitude while a lunch only satisfies a lad. And that if we're willing to take our lives and put them into the hands of the Creator, And let him break open our lives. Let him break open our plans. Let him break apart our desires, our wishes, our longings. If we will do that, then we will see that our lives will feed a multitude. But if we withhold, it's only going to satisfy one person. You see, the other thing we see in this is not only that God requires, provides what he requires, but they were trying to complete the purpose and the will of God through human, human resources. You see, Jesus said, I want you to go feed them. Go feed all these people. 5,000 of them, you got it, go ahead. That was just men, so that's not including women and children. You got it, hop to it. And the disciples are going, "Um, so do we got to go to town and buy bread? I mean, because... I only got money's in my pocket. Who's got the rest? Maybe if we pull our money together, we can do it. How many times do we try to step out in the ministry of God, the purposes of God, and try to do it in our own resources? And here the disciples, they respond back. Oh, oh, God, so, so we're just going to go to town and buy food. Okay, I can do that. Where's the money? And a lot of times that's how we approach ministry. We, okay, well, just this and this and this. We got it. But what God was wanting to do, what Jesus was wanting to do was not help out the local economy. What Jesus was wanting to do was to teach his disciples how ministry is done. You see, they were trying to complete the purpose and the will of God through human resources. Not only is his provision enough it's abundantly more than enough. And we see when the disciples followed in obedience to what Jesus had said, when they brought the lunch to him, when he broke it and multiplied it and sent it forth, it was more than enough. The second thing we see in this that is that Jesus gives them a blueprint for ministry. the first thing is is what do you have what do you have it's what Jesus would say to him well what do you have and so the question goes out to us today church what do you have somehow in church we've gotten the mindset that it takes experts to do ministry and I'm gonna tell you in the gospel the only experts we see are the ones that Jesus is scolding, the ones that Jesus is correcting. The ones we see doing the work and the call of Jesus are not experts. You see, God isn't looking for experts, He's looking for disciples. He's looking for people that will trust and obey, that will do what He says that will complete the actions that he set before them that will respond in faith and obedience to what he's asked that will believe that what he requires he provides you see the second thing he did he divided them in groups this is very interesting in this when he divides them into groups now you see when he first sends them out he sends them out in pairs which is pretty cool thing in ministry I think a lot of times that gets missed Um, When when I was at my last church, uh, we actually tried this in ministry. Anytime we started anything new, we always started it in pairs. And the beauty of this is that's nothing new to me. I didn't think it was a big idea. It was the model that God gave us. Because in the garden, what does He do? He creates man and woman. And what is the purpose of the man and the woman? To lead a family. And so God institutes this first lesson in the garden with a man and a pair. How do you raise a boy? Well, you need a father and a mother. How do you raise a little girl? Well, you need a father and a mother. Because there's something a father can bring, and there's something a mother can bring. And when you put those together, it works well. And it's amazing what happens when you put those together. You see, there's a lot of cry in our culture that we just need more police. If we just had more police, that would answer it. And I would say if we just had more fathers, that would answer it. If we had more men, who would stand up and be the role of a man? If we had more women, who would stand up and be the role of a mom? But too many people in our culture are self-absorbed in what they want or what they're after that they're willing to not step into these roles that God created. They're not willing to pair up and lead. And so it was quite amazing when we did this at the, uh, in our church um, it was everything we had a big Sunday school program and everything they wanted to do was through Sunday school. And so Sunday school became how we executed things or was the hope. And so one of the first things I did I said, Well when we start a Sunday school class, we're gonna have two leaders. We're going to start with two people who are invested in the success of this class. Two people who are going to help teach. Two people who are going to be involved in this. And then those two people are going to go get other leaders with them, and they're going to use those other leaders to help them accomplish other things in the class. And so the beautiful thing that happened is we were launched five Sunday school classes, and every one of them was full. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen. I was like, man, that's cool. I didn't think it would be that good. Now, in the years before, they hadn't successfully launched a Sunday, one Sunday school class. But you see, there's a blueprint that God has established for us in ministry. And I'm going to ask you, who's your partner? Who's your partner in ministry? Are you trying to do this by yourself? Have you been trying to step out and do this on your own? Have you yoked with somebody? Is there someone who's beside you in ministry? The second thing I would say is this that he divided them in groups. And when he did this, Jesus then took the bread, broke it, gave it to his disciples. His disciples then took it, broke it, and gave it to the heads of these groups. They would then break it and disseminate it down. Do you see what's happening here? that from Jesus would flow the resources and they would flow down through the the people that he put there. There's resources that Jesus has put into your hand that he's looking for you to break and share. The gospel has come to you and God is looking and he's asking for you to take that gospel, break it and share it. You see, this is how Jesus is letting his disciples know how they're going to do ministry. Now, the beauty is we begin to see this unfold in the book of Acts. And this is a great model for church planning, by the way. And that's what they did. You see, there would be a distribution of resources through the way God meant. But this isn't just resources. This is the gospel. Jesus is using a tangible thing of bread to show them how the gospel works. And so what will happen is Pastor John will get up here and he'll preach the gospel. He will get with the Lord. The God will give him bread from heaven, manna. And he'll come up here and he'll break it and he'll begin to hand it out. And how many times do you take that bread home and do you break it with your children? Do you break it and give it to your neighbors? Do you break it and give it to your co-workers? Or is it just, oh, I got my little piece. Mmm, that was good. Thank you. You see, the disciples, when they were given the bread, they didn't eat it. They broke it and they gave it. The bread was only a visual. The purpose is that they would see that the work of God in their life was to be broken and poured out for other people. You see, Jesus will empower you and equip you for his work. In verse 45, it picks up here. It says, immediately he made his disciples. Hang on, I just repeated. (laughs) Sorry, I got lost in my notes. No, we're right. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethesda. While he dismissed the crowd, and after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out of, at sea, and he was alone on the land. Now, you've seen what's happening here. Jesus is, Y'all get in the boat, we're going to go to the next place. We're going to the next place of ministry. We're going on to the next thing. And so Jesus sends them on ahead, and Jesus says, I'm, I'm going to dismiss the crowd, you guys go on. And so what happens here is Jesus then goes off to pray. Catch that. What is Jesus doing? He's going off to pray. It says, When the evening came, the boat was out at sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, and that the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by. But when they saw him on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly abandoned, uh, or utterly astonished. Sorry, And they did not understand, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. And here's another moment, another story of the unbelievable. But here in the midst of this, Jesus sets in the boat, and it says that they were astonished. They're going, this is unbelievable. You'll never believe what happened. You see, Jesus sends them on, but Jesus is then now interceding for his disciples. Do you believe that Jesus sits in heaven interceding on your behalf? Do you believe that he is appealing to the Father on your behalf? I believed if we believed that, it would change what we do, wouldn't it? I mean, we believe it, but do we believe it? We've heard it, you know, and we go, yeah, okay. But do we really believe it? Do we really take it in our hearts and work out the implications of what that means? That Jesus, the Son of God, is actively right now before the Father praying for you. He's interceding on your behalf. Or too many times that we like the disciples out in the middle. They're going, oh, if Jesus would just show up. Here Jesus is. He's watching them. His eyes are on them. He's observing what's going on. Now, how does he do that? Is he up on the mountain with a telescope? I mean, think about it, Right? Is he who he said he is? Is Jesus really who he said he is? Have we wrestled that? Have we come to knowing that? Have we embraced that? That Jesus is who he said he is? Because if so, then we believe that he can see us in the midst of our storms. You see, the first time they were in this storm in Mark chapter 4, Jesus was in the boat. But now we see they're in the middle of a storm and Jesus is not in the boat. But Jesus is fully aware of what's going on. And not only is he fully aware, he is interceding on behalf. Now, you may be wondering, well, is Jesus' prayers weak then? I mean, if Jesus is praying for them, why are they in a storm? Right? Isn't that the logical kind of thought? But again, this isn't to alleviate them from the storm. This is to show them, again, that Jesus is the Lord of the storm. And that no matter what circumstance that they find themselves walking through, they are not alone. They are not out of the watchful eye of Jesus. They are not without his touch, without his nearness. Because the Bible says that in the fourth hour of the night, he actually drew near to them. And so here Jesus is drawing near to them. And it's a weird text that Mark would throw in here. It says that he intended to walk by. Now, Mark will mess with your theology, won't he? Because you'd be thinking, "Nah, like, he's going to come get in the boat. No, nah, he can walk around and by, well, Jesus, wait. Man, where's he going? I believe why Mark would put this in there, because what he would follow this up with, is that when the disciples saw, they cried out. Now, we don't know what they cried out, but they cried out. How many of you ever found yourself in a circumstance where it was heavy, it was it strong, was, you just cried out, whatever, Jesus, or, oh, help us. And then all of a sudden, what happened? I remember right when we moved to Oregon, um, I had this truck, big diesel truck. I was really proud of that truck. I liked it. It was a man truck, right? It was the one that when you crank it up, it just it just growls at you, right? It was like, ah, oh, yeah, and so I was like man I got this awesome truck we're gonna take it up to the top of this mountain and so we get in we're headed up to the top of this mountain and this mountains covered in snow by the way and so I'm a dude and I'm I'm cool and ah, we don't need four-wheel drive yet we'll just keep going to two-wheel drive it's good he says we'll just wait till we need it and then we'll put it on right and so we're headed outside this mountain and we begin to experience black ice suddenly anybody experienced black ice I mean like fully experienced black ice, where you're going and all of a sudden you're just at the wheel of whatever is at mercy, you're, you're just, you got no control. And so we're headed up this mountain, we're moving at a good space, and we hit black ice. And the vehicle begins to turn sideways, which is not too bad except there's a cliff on this side, and there's a car coming right at us. and I'll never forget this. As we turn sideways, I hear my wife scream out, Jesus! (laughs) Which was highly appropriate. (laughs) Because somehow, in the world of science, I don't know how it happened, but somehow I found myself hitting the gas a little bit, which put a little traction to the rear tires, which is typically not what you do on ice, right? Anybody? Anybody? been a nice you don't want to give it more gas and so in a weird way our truck did a ballet dance with that car and so as the cars coming straight for us our truck just spun around the car as it and just kept going and we finally came to a stop and we praised the Lord because he saved our life you see sometimes you find yourself in the middle of the storm and you just got to holler out Jesus You just got to holler out, oh, take the wheel. Literally. Literally. (laughs) (laughs) Because I can tell you a lot of times in your life, you'll probably experience this, that if you remain silent, there's no help. The whole time Jesus is there, he's walking by, he's like, are they going to call out to me this time? Are they still going to try to fix it? He's, he's, he's waiting. He's walking by. He's like, they gonna are they going to fix it? are they going to call out to me? Because I'm right here. Hey guys, I'm right here. I'm right here. Are you going to you gonna call out or are you gonna try to keep you gonna keep trying to do it on your own? You see, Christ will work in you to produce faith. The first time they were in the storm, Jesus was in the boat. The second time they were in the storm, Jesus was near. He was watching. But you see what's going on in this story here? Jesus is training his disciples to know what it, what it looks like to be involved in ministry, to know what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus where you're doing ministry actively. There are times that Jesus will be in the boat sleeping. There are times that he will be far away. But Jesus will always be watching. And what he's hoping to do in you is to grow your faith that no matter what storm you're in, you can rest easy. To no matter what your life is going through, you can rest easy. And you might be thinking, well, how do I know this is true? How do I know this is right? That's a great question. I'm glad you're asking that. In the book of Acts, chapter 5 and chapter 12, we see an incredible story, another unbelievable story. The church is booming, it's growing, people are getting saved, people are getting healed. Amazing things are happening. I mean, it's so amazing that Peter's walking down the street and his shadow would fall on somebody and they get healed. I'm like, man, Jesus, that's cool. I'd like that. That'd be neat. Like, let's go to the hospital, God. Let's just help everybody out. But then we read on and we go, oh, hang on, wait. I don't know if I want that. Because then the Sanhedrin comes out and they put Paul and put Peter in prison. Whoa, 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 I want the healing, but I don't want the prison, right? And so here Peter is in prison. And then in chapter 12 of the book of Acts, we see Peter's in prison again. And this time Herod wants to put him in prison. And so Herod had killed James, and it brought him some notoriety among the people. So he's like, oh, great. Well, if you like that, just watch this next move. I'm going to kill Peter. And so he has Peter arrested, and Peter is now chained between two guards. And there's guards all around him, and he's down in the deep parts of the prison. And you know what the Bible says that Peter's doing? Who said that? (laughs) He's sleeping, you're right. Now, how do you? He's sleeping. How? He's about to die. chained between two guards and he's sleeping you see this is how I know it's true because the same Peter who was the one who messed up all the time who's the one who said oh well I can walk on water Oh, no I can't the same Peter who would always stick his foot in his mouth the same Peter when Jesus would go Peter Pray, because tonight you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna betray me tonight. Oh, no, Jesus, I, I never would do that. Three times he does it, and he walks away, and he's sorrowful. He's broken. But then later we see this Peter who, in the midst of the storm, is going, you know what, I'm going to get a good night's sleep because tomorrow is going to be fun. Why could he do that? Because Jesus had taken him through this lesson after lesson, this circumstance after circumstance where Jesus had showed him, what I require of you, I provide. You see, the thing is, is we're not usually ready to get to that point where we're broken before Jesus. Because we're still trying to do it on our own terms. We're still trying to do it in our own strength. We're still trying to do it as we understand it, as we can know it, as we can wrap our minds around it. We're still trying to accomplish it by the will of Wade. But here is Peter. Oh, no, I got this, Jesus. I won't ever betray you. I got this. And this little girl comes up to him. And he lies. He betrays Jesus to a little girl. But you know what happened? The Bible says he was broken. He was broken. He was broken over his own sin. He was broken over his own ability, inability. He was broken, and he began to realize, "Oh God, I, I don't. I don't have this. I'm not the man that you said I am. I'm not a rock. I'm a tinfoil at best. I can't do this. And then after the resurrection of Jesus, we see, a, we see a really cool story. Peter's out fishing in the boat, and Jesus walks up. They have lunch and restore him, and Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, yeah, God, I, I love you this time. He goes, feed my lambs. Peter, Peter, do you love me? Oh, Jesus, you, you, know, you know I love you. Well, Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? (sighs) Come on, Jesus. How many times are you going to ask me? You see, I think Peter finally got the call that God had put on his life. Brooke, if you're coming up. I can only imagine the mind of Peter flooding back to this story Where Jesus says, well, feed them. That's what I called you to do. Go feed them. That he's remembering this story where when the bread was put into the hands of Jesus and it was broken, that it fed the multitude. I want you to go feed my sheep. Well, how do I feed your sheep? Remember this story. Oh, yeah. I don't have to worry about this, God, because what you're asking of me, you will provide What you want to see happening, you're going to make sure it happens. The question for us becomes, are we willing to go and worship? The story of Abraham. I want you to come worship. The story of Peter. Feed my sheep. What's your story? What has God called you? You to do? Who has he put in your life? Who has he stirred for you? What's your story? Have we got no sound back there? All right. <clears throat> well, we have no sound back there. I was going to have Brooks sing this song for us. Um, <clears throat> Uh, all right. But I hope you can guys get encouraged. We're stepping into Christmas season, and this is the best time of the year, isn't it? This is the best time, I think, to be reminded of this, that what God required, there was a requirement that God sets, requirements to be holy, requirements to be righteous, the requirements to be good, to give, to give without measure. To surrender our lives if we made the list it would be long and it would be unachievable but God knowing our condition the condition that we were unable to fulfill the mandates to fulfill the requirements to live up to the call knowing that would send his son And Jesus knowing that the ministry and the mission of Jesus was much bigger than you, and so he would send you his Holy Spirit. And that everything we need for a life of godliness, to be a good mother, a good father, to be a good employer, a good worker, everything we find we would need is in Christ. And Brooke's going to sing this song for us. I want you to just kind of listen to the words.
3: The hour is dark, and it's hard to see what you would do.
0: amazing story an amazing story of what God is doing and it's unbelievable some of you it's not finished being written yet some of you you've got through a lot of chapters are you sharing your story can you imagine if that story wasn't shared for us if Mark wouldn't write this down if Peter wouldn't tell it. In fact, the Bible says there's so many stories that Jesus did, they couldn't write them all down. There were just too many. But can I challenge you as we go today? Your story, where God didn't fail, where you were in the boat, the storm was raging, and you hollered out, Jesus, save me. He was there. The story where he took your little and made it much. Where you didn't know where the next thing was coming from or the next this or the next that. Maybe pray this time of the year. This is the best time to be sharing these stories because this is the Christmas story. That what God requires, he provides. Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness today. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you that you're rich and you're kind to us. God, I thank you, God, that you do not fail. God, when the darkness of night rages, you're there. When the options seem very small, (laughs) you're there. It's hard to believe A lot of times our faith needs to grow and be challenged more. Yes, but you're doing that, God. You require faith of us, but you're giving us that faith. And God, would you increase our faith? Would you give us more? God, help us be good at sharing our stories. Help us be good at telling of the wonders of you and the goodness of you. That we can look back on our lives and see how you have moved through. And God, in this moment, we reflect and we worship you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, church. We love you guys. Next week, our children are going to be doing the worship, so you don't want to miss that. Also, maybe if we can get a couple guys to help us move these.